as long as squads are following the, I call it the physical distancing rather than social distancing requirements of 1.5, I think it's easier. As long as we were adhering to those principles and we were training in groups of 10 or less, that's what level B means. And so while it's not Nirvana, you know, level C, where we, we're back to kind of normal activity, it is a start. Welcome to Swim.Rocks, the podcast that shares ideas, information and inspiration between swimming people that stay dry. All the signs are at the moment that everybody feels they can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, uh, but they're trying to work out what that really means and whether they dare believe it and, and what the next step forward is. And um, certainly in our community, um, there's been a lot of discussion about what that means and how we can take the next step forward. So I'm absolutely delighted that uh, Lee Russell, CEO of Swimming Australia, has joined us yet again today to have a bit of a chat about what leading swimming through and beyond COVID-19 looks like. So Lee, good afternoon and welcome. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me again. A pleasure and thank you for your time because I know you're a very busy person currently. <laughs> so getting straight into it, what's going on in Swimming Australia at the moment? Um, because uh, you know, lots of people seem to have been stood down and there's, there's all sorts of rumours swirling around, but uh, what, what's happening? Well, it's similar to what's happening everywhere across the country and, and very much in particular in sport. Um, a few weeks ago, we took the decision, uh, and not lightly, certainly it was a very dis difficult decision to, to take, but to actually stand down a percentage of our staff and uh, certainly reduce the hours of, of every other staff member. So there's, there's not a staff member in the place at the moment that hasn't been impacted either by a, a whole uh, stand down or they're only working one or two days a week to, to keep um, the mission critical components of our work happening. Uh, I, I realise there's probably a few rumours, I've heard a few myself. Um, part of the, the challenge was that we had a genuine stoppage of work. So, you know, like every other sport, almost overnight, as, as the swimming community know um, all too well, all of our events and our programs and so on came to a screeching halt. And we had to obviously then recalibrate what we were going to do to get through COVID and out the other side. And and for us, it, it is about, um, I guess, a period of hibernation without overusing that word, because there is still an awful lot of activity going on, but also ensuring that we as an organisation come through uh, COVID um, fairly strongly and out, and out um, into the, the new normal, whatever that might um, end up looking like. So no one's been made redundant and no one um, has lost their job. And I think that's really important to, to point out because every single job at Swimming Australia is absolutely critical. We don't have superfluous roles um, rolling about the place doing nothing. Uh, in fact, I would always advocate we haven't got enough and, uh, and, and we, would, we would love more. We would absolutely find something for everybody to do. But, but certainly um, part of this is to make sure that come in the new financial year, we have a good fighting chance of, of sti you know, sticking together, particularly as you know, our high performance arm of, the, of, the, of our world, our business, is, has got an Olympics to prepare for. Now... You spoke there about lots of events being cancelled. Um, the financial situation before COVID was, was quite challenging. Um, 
to the extent that you can say, should we be should we be really concerned about the viability of Swimming Australia going forward, or uh, you know, how desperate are times financially? Well, I think um, I think we all should hold a level of concern about sport going forward. Um, it, it's one thing. One thing that it's shown us is that there's a there's a fair fragility uh, around sport, and if you are not playing, if you are not uh, competing, if you're not doing all of those things, the the revenue streams dry up pretty quickly. And likewise for sponsorship, um, you know, really we're in a we're in a time where we've had to demonstrate significant value to commercial partners in order for them to invest into swimming or any other sport. And you know, if you haven't got product and you haven't got people in the water attending events and so on there's not much you you can you can really do so i think it's fair to say that we should all hold a level of concern but also that you know through through some really good um, financial management of boards previous boards and previous ceos and executive teams you know swimming australia is is not looking down the barrel of of being dissolved or um, wound up or anything like that we've got very good partners in our in our um family and we've certainly, you know, got a, a very good relationship with Sport Australia and the AIS as well, which are, you know, really our major investors, if you like, into, into our um, programs and, and products. Um, so it's not, um, it's certainly not a case of we're winding up, but it is a case of we're going to have to reimagine the future fairly differently in order to get through in the, the medium to, to long term. Maybe we might, we might return to that theme a little bit later. But in terms of preparation for the Olympics, I think it's quite well known that a lot of the high performance uh, team had their contracts sort of uh, due to end at the end of the Olympic cycle. And now that Olympic cycle has been pushed forward a year. What's, um, you know, what are the plans for that, for that team? Well, it's, it's actually, um, we don't have a team that's contracted per se. We, we actually um, support financially in a, in a couple of ways. One is that we provide the high performance environment for, for our high performance centres. And there's, you know, an enormous number of uh, athletes that use those centres and, and are a part of those programs. And then we also uh, provide direct investment to our categorised athletes, which ha happens to be about 119 athletes uh, at this time. So there's not a contract through to the Olympics per se. Um, a lot of things rely on performance and, and um, benchmark events and so on. And obviously the benchmark event this year was the Olympics. So we've had to work through all of that. Um, but certainly at this point, our athletes have not been impacted at all by, by COVID as, as the rest of the organisation has. And we made a really distinct decision early on to try and um, make sure that to the best of our ability, we could get them to continue their preparation as, as best they could, obviously under the circumstances of government restrictions and so on. So um, right now it is business as usual for them with the proviso that of course not nothing is business as usual right now. So does that mean that Yako and the team will sort of re-baseline to uh, head into the, Olymp the 2020 Olympics next year in Tokyo? 
Yeah, we've, we've got a number of staff that are contracted through to December 31, 2020. And so, um, like all other sports, you know, uh, all, all Olympic sports go in cycles, quad cycles. And of course, that was the going to be the natural time that that was coming to a conclusion and we would reset and, and go again for the Paris cycle. So we're now needing to look at what we can do um, around all of that. But certainly the coaches and, and Jarko and the high performance team have just busy recalibrating their plans uh, and, and making sure that we develop an event calendar that's probably going to be much more localised. You know, I don't think there's going to be the opportunity for international travel um, as far as I can see and, and, and in speaking with the government, you, you know, there's no short-term plan to, to open up our borders. So how can we work within that to make sure that we um, provide our athletes the kind of um, uh, race conditions and as often as they need to, to, to make sure their preparation is as, as uncompromised as possible leading into Tokyo 21, which sounds, still sounds a bit weird to say. <laughs> so moving on more broad, broadly from the sort of high performance end to, to the sport as a whole, I know you've been really, really busy with the team in terms of working out what restarting the sport looks like. Um, and the AIS has issued their framework for rebooting sport in a COVID-19 environment. Perhaps we can go into that a bit more deeply in a minute, but can you sort of give her a flavour of what, what's going on uh, in the background to, to restart our sport? Yeah, there's a hell of a lot of work um, going on from a national and from a state perspective. And then obviously that flows into the, to the local club perspective. And uh, it, it's actually been a really challenging uh, piece of work, if you can call it that, because of the way, I guess, it's all set up. So, you know, we've got a national cabinet, but then they refer to state premiers and so on and their health departments and, and public health officials um, for you know, different guidelines and things. So what, what we've, what's happened is that we've ended up obviously with a quite a, a, a around the country, quite a different range of, of requirements. What we're trying to focus on is um, making sure firstly that sport has a seat at the table um, of government decisions, noting that this is a health crisis and a pandemic. So very early on, you know, the sports minister was very clear to us that while sport is very important, um, people's health is the way or is the lens by which the government were going to manage this this um, situation, and then of course you know livelihoods were were obviously the other um, concerns. So how sport fitted into those plans, we needed to make sure that we were developing ways of safety safely getting back to to activity. You know as and when the government allow um, each particular state to do so. So it's been a complex piece of work. Um, that every sport has worked on. So it's it's needed um, myself and others to, to work with other sports, to work with the government, to work with Sport Australia, to work with uh, our states uh, and so on, to make sure that we are in a good position when the lights are able to be switched on, for lack of a, a better term, and that we can provide our communities with some clear guidelines about safety. And that's certainly what we've been working on in the last couple of weeks. And we're pretty close to the point, Ben, of um, having a, a document which will be a, a set of national guidelines for swimming specifically. And so we've looked at the AIS guidelines and we've tried to 
again, for lack of a better word, swimify um, what we have to for our for our environments. And we've also tried to ensure that we've become very research-based about pools and the safety of pools and, and you know, what we need to do around pools in order for, for athletes, our athletes, to be safe. Um, I've, I've watched almost with a little bit of envy, you know, at some point through through the, the, the COVID situation, you know, my son, for example, is a runner, so he just runs um, and trains, whereas, you know, obviously our situation we need a whole facility to be open which which uh, does bring its complexities with it because we've got to work with a range of people for, for that to happen so there's been a hell of a lot of work go on behind the scenes to make the complex simple hopefully for when we're able to get back in the water so when i look at the existing aas document they've got this sort of level a level b and level c um Level A seems to have been where we've been for, for quite a while now, the sort of in-water training solo in your own pool or open water. Yes. Level C seems to be Nirvana, <laughs> full training <laughs> and competition. Yeah. And then the sort of level B, which is kind of everything in between, which is described as use of a communal pool with limited numbers, maintaining social distancing requirements. What does that mean? So right now, you're quite right. So I think I think the approach has been let's look at it in some simple levels. The the complexity has come from every sport needing something slightly different. And and for us, you know, water is obviously our our um, unique uh, position. We need to ensure that we've we've got a level of safety around that. Um, what that guideline means, so you're quite right, firstly, level A is where we're at right now. You know, if you've got access to a pool or to the ocean um, and you can do it on your own or with, you know, another person, great. Um, with the next level, subject to uh, the states, you know, allowing the, the easing of restrictions, means for every sport you can train in groups of 10. Um, but that includes uh, the coach or the official or whoever. So you might have eight athletes, for example, um, eight members and, and your coach and, and somebody else on the side, but it can't be more than a maximum of 10. Um, that's essential. And then the other important point in level B is that we need to maintain the same social distancing um, um, meterage, I guess you could call it, um, to everything else. So that 1.5 metres. So uh, initially, the AIS were looking at one athlete per lane, which of course wouldn't really work in a, from a practical sense in a club squad um, perspective. And certainly the cost of opening pools for one athlete pool lane, per lane might not work either. So where we were able to, to get to and collaborate with them um, in terms of their safety requirements is that uh, as long as squads are following the uh, I call it the physical distancing rather than social distancing requirements of 1.5. I think it's easier than, than, um, than the word social distance. But uh, as long as we were adhering to those principles and we were training in groups of 10 or less, that's what level B means. And so while it's not, um, you know, it's certainly not Nirvana, you know, level C, where we, we're back to kind of normal activity, it is a start. And I think what we have to do as a swimming community is um, really make sure that we are stepping through the resumption of our activity so that we don't uh, experience a, a second wave, a second outbreak. Um, you know, my understanding is the government will shut us down 
as quick as anything and for a longer period of time. And so I think if we can um, work to the guidelines wherever possible and then also, you know, give it some time, um, things will start to open up so we can get back to activity, more full activity sooner. Well, thank you for that, Lee. Uh, just just to keep diving into the detail, oh, forgive the the, 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 the the water pun accidental. Um, in terms of maintaining social distancing or physical distancing in a pool, I mean, does does that mean swimmers should be swimming in alternate lanes? Yes, they should. They should. Coaches obviously will um, be quite inventive in their sessions about how to how to keep this happening. But um, certainly our coach leadership team has looked at a whole range of different options, you know, from staggered starts and, and, and using um, different lanes, taking out the lane rope between two lanes and those sorts of things. And I'm far from the technical expert. I just want to, you know, flag that. I, I certainly listen to the experts about how things can happen. Um, I think there are good workarounds. And I think there are that you know if we keep our focus on safety, um, it it will help to keep the frustration down. Of course, we all want to dive in to to use to use the term and just get going. You know, I think after weeks of sitting at home and um, you know very few of us probably know people with COVID in the community. So you know our 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 infection rate is very low. You know, obviously we're all healthy. We want to just get going. But there needs to be a sense of, okay, how can we make these rules work for us in the short term, knowing that, you know, this will not be forever. And in fact, the government, um, you know, is saying basically we need two incubation cycles, which is, you know, two by 14 days to really show that our opening up of activity isn't going to spike the, the cases of COVID. And I think that's important. You know, the government strategy is about suppression. So, you know, equally, we know that from time to time, we will, we will come across a case of COVID. Um, how do we do, deal with that with care and compassion? But at the same time, you know, continue to try and get as many people back to activity as possible, because we know how important it is for our own mental health, much less our physical health. So just before we move off the detail, do you see these regulations applying equally, whether it's a small five lane, 20 yard pool compared to say a 50 meter, 10 lane Olympic pool? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think, I think the answer to it is that clubs and, and, and um, swimming authorities, for lack of a better word there, need to keep working with facility owners who are also working with governments and health officials to understand what they can have in their facility just like restaurants and, and pubs and things are doing. Um, it will depend very much on the square metre, you know, per person type of arrangement that the pool facility can come up with safely. And so I think it's, I think it's just important to kind of go into each situation uh, knowing or understanding what's best for that particular facility. And then you can, then you can work backwards from there. Now, there's clearly a lot of detail that you say has been worked on. Um, when will that be published, do you expect? I'm, I'm getting off our phone call or, or Zoom um, and getting onto a phone call with all the state CEOs and, and some staff from Swimming Australia to hopefully finalise those guidelines. We're pretty close. Um, there's been some excellent work, collaboration. You know, it's the, it, the, we've all got the same goal, um, and so we're just trying to make sure that we're, our, our information, sorry, is accurate uh, it's helpful it's clear so we're in the final stages i'd say if we're in a 1500 meter race we're at the we're we're on the home stretch 
Oh, excellent. So the bells have been rung. We're, uh, we're sprinting to the finish. I'm, I'm really hoping the bell's being rung because I'd would love to, I'd love to, you know, imminently get that out to the community. And then, of course, for the community to have time to, um, you know, ask the questions they need to ask and to work with their, their local swimming pool and so on to, to, you know, so when their state government says, let's go, we can, we can get back to it as soon as possible. And are you able to speculate or give any detail about what future events might look like or when we might be able to start getting into competing again? You can speculate all you want, Ben. Um, <laughs> look, it's a really difficult one. Um, you know, the government's been really clear again that this is about getting back to training environments and, and community activity versus the, the competitive, um, you know, nature of our, our sport. I'm hoping, I mean, you know, our, our new seasons are just around the corner. I'm hoping that we we are sort of looking at the later part of, of 2020 and saying, yep, that's a real possibility for, for us in terms of competing and beyond. Um, I think it's going to depend very much on the next few weeks, you know, here till June, July, um, what happens, what kind of um, impact does it have in the community? And, and then we can reset. Having said that, we're, we're planning for scenario one, two and three. But um, as I said before, from a, from a high performance perspective and youth teams perspective and all that sort of thing in, in, in that way, you know, I, I suspect international travel is off the agenda for at least the rest of the year. Um, I'd like to hope, of course, for, for, for that to open up. But I, I do think that our borders will be probably one of the last pieces of, of the puzzle with COVID that the government will look to relax. Um, so that might create some opportunity um, within Australia for, for additional events and more localised content. So we're looking at a, a range of things and we're hoping to have an events calendar in draft form out in the next you know, few weeks so that uh, the swimming community can start to you know, plan and look forward to things again. We understand how, how much, uh, how, how important, I should say, that real um, hook in the future is for, for swimmers and for their, their families. So facility owners, coaches and swimmers are just starting to look forward and, and think about the future. W what advice would you give to them? And I guess it's a bit of a loaded question for me is because we've organised um, for our community to have a, a roundtable Zoom session next Wednesday night to start thinking mm -hmm. about how they can uh, support their clubs out of the current situation into the, into the next stage. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, look, um, great loaded question. Thank you, Ben. Um, the, the advice I would have is that actually there's a whole bunch of practical measures that you can be looking at now to in preparation for the resumption of activity. For example, the, um, you know, uh, and we're developing checklists so it makes it easy for people to consider, you know, all the relevant pieces. But, you know, what does a club do if they get a swimmer that is presenting with symptoms? What do you need your, your swimmers to do before they even start training again? Um, is it even possible to train in, in your local um, facility? Do, we need, do you need to think to, you know... Um, be combining with with somewhere else because you know your pool simply won't have the capacity to open there's a there's a there's a range of i guess scenarios that will relate to every club but overall it, it, the advice would be from me think about the health and safety of your people and how you might um, manage that within your club environment. You know, the, it, it, it absolutely goes without saying there's, it, there is gonna be more work come from um, trying to keep club environments of any sport safe from a COVID perspective for, for the people that, you know, are managing those clubs and for the coaches that are working in those clubs. 
I think we've all got a responsibility though to um, work with our clubs, you know, work with our people uh, to ensure they get the information they need. Little things like downloading the COVID app so that it actually makes it easier for a club to contact people if, if you know, they know there's been a case. Um, the government obviously have been uh, encouraging people to do that. I know there's various views on that. My view very strongly is it's a, it's a quick and effective way of ensuring the safety of others. So, you know, I, and I, I, I think probably my local David Jones has more information on me than, than, than the app does. So um, online shopping, I'm sure is much more of a threat than, than the app. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, I think it's a way of keeping um, our clubs safe or safer and, and easier to manage. So there are things like also, you know, there's a COVID um, a course online that the government have, are providing for people who might, you know, might have to manage a case of COVID. What do you do? What are the, what are the simple steps? So, you know, there's a lot of preparation that people who are passionate about getting back into the water can do. And, and likewise for swimmers, obviously doing the right thing, um, in ensuring that they're communicating about their health to, to um, you know, their coaches and so on, but also um, ensuring that they're following the rules, you know, so that we can all get back to um, activity as soon as possible. Lee, I need to need to, need to let you go, but before doing so, um, you meant talked about reimagining the sport post COVID nineteen. I don't know how much reimagining you've been able to do already, but um, if so, what, what, what's what's going on in your imagination? Yes, we are reimagining, but of course, we we're also very mindful. We've got a mountain of of present day stuff to to get through. So it's been a really interesting challenge trying to find the the bandwidth to, to reimagine sport and, and of course not knowing what is out the other side for us and, and, and what our um, financial future might look like uh, as uh, every other sport's grappling with. I, I, I go a bit crazy actually and, and start thinking about, okay, well, if no one, no one can travel, how could we have an age championships? You know, how could we use technology to, to, um, you know, create an event but actually everybody's in their pools and 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 so on or their local environments um how do we create efficiency in our system so that we you know we're really um looking at with shared services and um our pieces of technology that just make people's lives easier at the at the cold face um so i and and look i there's you know there's a great there's crazy thinkers like jaco baharan who who's you know busy cooking up all sorts of things, um, you know, should we be faced with a number of scenarios where maybe we can't move or, you know, we, we need, because we need to keep swimming. We, you know, the, the passion is there. Um, people are desperate to get back to doing something they love. So um, there are some, um, this is the time, I guess, to create the weird and wacky um, and see actually if, if there's a there's a platform or an appetite for it. So um, certainly there's no shortage of ideas at the moment. There seems to be just a shortage of time and, um, and obviously uh, information about what we're going to do. First things first, obviously getting people back to the water safely. And then, of course, we can start to dream a little about what might be possible in a, in a post-COVID world. Lee, thank you so much indeed for your time today. That's very much appreciated. Thank you and, and good luck um, with the next step and the, uh, the wacky ideas for the future. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for having me. G'day, everyone. With the government's announcement on Friday and Swimming Australia set to make an announcement soon, looks like we'll be in the water in the next month. 
That's why it is more important than ever right now that we restart, relaunch, rebuild, and rally our troops. It is our mission as volunteers, coaches, technical officials, committee members that we lead this charge, and the best way to do it is together. That's why on Wednesday the 20th of May at 8pm, we are hosting a Zoom event for everyone to join. So go over to our events page, RSVP that you're going, jot down some ideas on a piece of paper, and what I want you to do is I want you to share it to the groups that we can all get new ideas of how we can get our clubs up and running. So, hopefully I'll see you Wednesday the 20th of May, 8pm.